0: We are in a series in Exodus. We're in Exodus 14. Um, Sorry, I was going to say, if you are visiting, my name's Paul. I'm one of the church leaders here. It's great to have you with us. Uh, But before we get into that, I wonder wonder if God's got a favourite musical. Okay, if God had a favourite musical, I wonder what you think it would be. I wonder whether it might not be this one that we're going to see a short clip from now. Thank you, David. So that's from a musical or percussion musical called stomp okay basically a bunch of guys and girls just taking everyday objects and kind of you know using them for percussion rhythm and stomping okay we'll come back to that so this morning, we are in Exodus 14, continuing this series of A People Transform. I believe my whole heart that at this moment in time, God is about our transformation. I think he's always about that. I think particularly we may be, in, as a church, in a season of transformation. It is to do with, with activities and structures and services and things, but I think it's more about our hearts. I just think it is something God is on. So let's have a look then. I was just about to say, David, could you turn this? And then I remembered I've got the clicker, haven't I? I've got the power in the clicker. So we're uh, going to have a look then at Exodus 14. Israel has come out of Egypt. The plagues have happened. The Passover, they come out. And uh, this is where they find themselves. It says this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israels go and have lost their services or hard labour. And so he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hahiroth opposite Baal-Zephon. And as Pharaoh approached the Israelites, sorry, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were a slave people. They kind of probably had a few weapons among them, but they'd see this mighty army coming after them. And they were absolutely terrified and cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you're never going to see them again. God's going to deal with this. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be silent. And then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. (laughs) Get out, move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. May God bless his word to us now, anoint speaker and hearers that his word would be fruitful among us. Just to share uh, a little bit of testimony, For, for a while now, probably 18 months, a couple of years there's a particular number that has been brought to my attention, okay? I, I think it's prophetic for me. It just It's a number. I just keep noticing it all over the place. It's probably been, like I say, a couple of years. It actually goes back to university. It was my university room number, and it's a number. It's a particular number. I think it's prophetic for me personally, but I think it speaks of a call to all of us so there's this number that i've noticed drum roll the number is 110 seriously i've just i've just noticed the number 110 i see it a lot okay i'm not saying i see it every day but i probably see it a couple of times a month i just notice this number i'm not saying that the number is more common And that it's out there more. It's just I notice it. And you may say, well, it's coincidence. Once you get it into your head, you're bound to notice it. Well, okay. I still think it's prophetic. I still have a witness in my spirit that it is prophetic. We had a week away recently. And during that week, two or three times I noticed this number, the number 110. At one point I was watching the ashes come on. And uh, and it said about the fact that Australia are 110 runs behind England at this point. Um, there was a movie we were watching that same week, and uh, there was, it was a war movie, I think, and some, uh, one of the captains or something said about, you know, I've lost 110 men on that, whatever it was, attack or something. So I just keep noticing this number, and, and I started to think, oh, I noticed this number, not what is that? And then I read Psalm 110, and I thought, that's it. That explains to me. You see, Psalm 110, 110, like I say, used to be my university room number, says this The Lord says to my hand, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. So there's this message here about somehow the Lord God saying to a Lord that he's going to make this other Lord's enemies his footstool. It was what Peter cited on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2. Peter says this. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, day of Pentecost, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven and yet he said, The Lord, God the Father, said to my Lord, Jesus sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Other passages tell us Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and God the Father's purpose is that Jesus' enemies will be made his footstool. Do you get that? God the Father is bringing all of God's enemies... Under him. And he's going to put them at the feet of Jesus, the man that God the Father has given as his inheritance, the earth. And all Jesus' enemies in the earth are going to be made his footstool. That is what's happening now. That's the process going on now. That is a praise God. That's what's going to happen. Well, here's the thing then. God has always had the purpose... To bring his enemies to heal. This is a sculpture by a French sculptor of God crushing Satan. Why is that? Well, you see, God wants supremacy. He thinks this is all his. And there are no, there's no room. He tolerates no rivals or pretenders. It just doesn't and it's our call to join that process we are called as individuals and as a church to join him in this work of vanquishing his enemies this is our call the call of psalm 110 is our call Like I say, I think there's something in it. I think it's my call. I think it's mine and Ali's call personally. Something around spiritual warfare and seeing the enemies of God being vanquished. It may be your call. You may have been through some stuff. See, I can give testimony that Ali and I, there have been times it has been hellish. 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 But you may have been through some of that as well. You may have had experiences, I was talking before the service with in about situations that just felt really spiritually oppressive. And you may be able to say, I, I can relate to that. This was more than just emotional. This, there was spiritual stuff happening. Well, it's probably the process of God vanquishing his enemies and bringing his enemies, as his footstool. This is thoroughly scriptural. Let's have a look at this quickly. Genesis 3, 15. The fall, sinners come in. And then God says to the devil, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. The offspring of woman will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That is the Messiah forecast right in the book of Genesis. Christ's coming is forecast there as... A work of crushing Satan's head. It's the language of the book we're reading now, Exodus. It's the language of Exodus. Look at Exodus twelve, twelve. What was God about in bringing Israel out of slavery? Well, one of the purposes was this. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. He's going to destroy the gods of the Egyptians. There's no room for any other rivals. There's just not. Daniel 2, verse 44 Daniel. It's right throughout the Old Testament. talks about uh, Nebuchadnezzar has this vision. Daniel explains it to him. You'll remember it's a vision. Nebuchadnezzar has a vision of a statue of different metals. It represents different kingdoms. And then this statue, there's this whacking great rock, comes and just crushes this statue. Well, what is that? Well, Daniel explains. In the time of those kings, these previous empires, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. There's a coming kingdom and a coming king that's going to reign over all. And it's one of the main purposes for the coming of Jesus. I like this verse. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work now it's to save individuals it's to bring healing to brokenness it's all of that but he's had enough of the devil and he's going to destroy his work just very quickly that word destroy it part of the connotation of it is it means to unravel all that mess satan's created god's going to undo it he's going to unravel it and he's going to make it good because he thinks as colossians 1 tells us that in all things he wants supremacy and we see this supremely in the cross. I never get tired of this; these verses. This is the work of the cross. Colossians 2. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. We're free of the debt of sin. <laughs> By the way, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Powers and authorities have been triumphed over. It's this picture of the emperor, the victorious emperor, leaving, leading all the slaves and all the vanquished, all the conquered in his wake, stripped bare. And that's what Christ did on the cross, says Paul in Colossians. Well, who are God's enemies? Well, firstly, it is spiritual beings and forces. Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. And Paul goes on to say, therefore, you've got you've to get wise to this. This isn't just about trying to be nice to people and loving them so that they'll believe some stuff about God and Jesus and hopefully become nice people. Although we do believe in personal transformation. We've got to wise up to the fact that there are spiritual forces out there that we face, brothers and sisters. But it's okay, because we've just seen Colossians 2. No, okay. We've just seen Colossians 2. He triumphed over them by the cross. We've got nothing to fear. We've got nothing to fear. So, spiritual beings and forces, but also, and this is this is a little bit strong. Who are also God's enemies? Humankind in our obstinacy. When we set ourselves up against God and are resistant to him. Pa- pa- well, let's see what Romans Paul says in Romans 5. But I thought, I thought God loved us all. Well, how, how can that be the case? Well, outside of Christ, this is the case. If while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we, are now, we have now recon, uh, received reconciliation. The verse before that, verse 8, Paul talks about, We were children of wrath. Outside of Christ, we're God's enemies. We're children of wrath and we're his enemies. We've set ourselves up, like it or not, men and women who have set themselves up, who have not bowed the knee to Christ, have set themselves up in enmity towards God. That's the biblical picture. It's a willful thing. People won't be able to stand before God and say, but it wasn't my fault. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Now, we don't understand, well, what about people who've never heard and all of that stuff? And I get there's questions in that, but God will ensure justice is done. God will ensure it's fair. But if we resist him, we set ourselves up in enmity towards him. And this was certainly the case, wasn't it, with Pharaoh. But thanks be to God, he reconciles us through the cross. So humankind, we set ourselves up in enmity against God. And we create systems that will not bow to God, are disobedient to God. It's why Hebrews 12 says this. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what cannot be shaken. That is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. What's that saying? that humankind sets up systems, kingdoms, ways of doing things, that God says, but they're not according to my ways. I need to shake them. I need to bring them down. Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 10 about demolishing strongholds. One of the reasons I think we see such chaos and turmoil in the world is I think God is shaking. I think he's undermining our trust in our own ability. I think it's one of the things that's happening. But let me just tell you, brother, sister, it may be one of the reasons why you're going through stuff now. Because you set up a little ecosystem yourself, a little system yourself, that actually is, for whatever reason, some aspect of it is not built on God's truth. And therefore God says, that's not going to remain. It's not the best for you. And I need to bring it down. And he's putting you through stuff. Because our trust needs to be in him, not in the systems we build. We see it in Revelation, all those systems, Babylon, this financial system, world governments brought down. Because there's only one kingdom. There's There's room for only one king and one kingdom. That's the way it is. Okay. Okay, you say to me, all well and good, there's no application in that. How do I apply that to my life? Well, Let's have a few thoughts, because I think in this passage, in Exodus 14, we have some lessons in this. Because what we've got there is a system, a pride, obstinate system, under the Pharaoh, setting itself up against God. And God says, I'm going to demolish that. So, what applications do we have? Firstly, like I say, let's get wise. Don't underestimate Satan's desire to keep you captive to keep you in his system. This was Israel's journey from slavery, the Exodus, is ours. We're on a journey out of slavery into God's freedom, but Satan will keep, look to keep us captive. It's what happened with Israel. Exodus fourteen five. when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials, you see, it's not just Pharaoh, it's, it's, it's the whole machinery of Egypt changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services, their hard labour. What he's saying is these people belong to us and I'm going to have them. Just like, well, I'll come to it, but Satan looks to keep a hold of us. Even after we've become a Christian, he'll hang on to us. He wants to keep you in hard labour. It's what some of those negative thoughts are about. It's the devil feeding stuff, feeding insecurities, feeding fears, feeding worries in us to keep us captive. I, I won't ask for a show of hands, but do any of us suffer from some of that stuff? I know I do. The devil gets me by discouragement. He discourages me. With you, it may be something else. It may be anxiety, it may be worry, maybe depression, whatever it is. He feeds it. I'm, I'm not saying there's not physiological things going on and chemical things going on. But in there, that's not how it's meant to be. That's not the kingdom of God for us. Well, there's only room for one kingdom. So God wants us free of all that. So let's not mess about. Secondly, don't lose your nerve in the face of Satan's attacks. Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, yeah, from a movie, Scared Stiff. Israel was scared stiff. Look, when they came, it says, they said to Moses... Was it it because there were no graves in Egypt? It says they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Their nerve failed. Let me ask you, if you know what that feels like, to be going through such a trial, that it's like your nerve fails, your faith fails. I remember someone saying to me once, this trial is so difficult, never mind hanging on by the, is it skin of my teeth? Skin of my teeth, I'm hanging on by the membrane of the skin of my teeth. Just like, just barely clinging on. Well, here's something comforting for you. What did Jesus say to Peter in that situation? Peter, Jesus knew that Peter was going to reject him coming to the cross. This is just prior to Jesus' death. And Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat, he's after you. That's why it's so hard, brother, sister, because he's real. He doesn't like us. He doesn't like, he does not like you. Because you've got the Spirit of God in you. I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. There's a prayer meeting going on in heaven now. Jesus is leading it, and it's for you. Isn't that good? Whatever prayer happens here, whatever prayer ministry there is here, Jesus prays for us. He ever lives to intercede. So let's not lose our nerve. Christ is praying for us. Thirdly, trust God to deliver you. Trust God to deliver you. You see, the knockout blow was delivered on the cross. We don't work for victory, we we work from it. The knockout blow was on the cross. We just read it in Colossians 2. And the effects of that victory should be felt in our lives. We should be, whatever this means, and I'm not being triumphalistic and I fall way, way short, but whatever this means, we should be living a victorious Christian life. Whatever you understand by that, or, let more, more, or better, let's, let's get to grips with what the Bible means by that. Because time and again, it talks about overcoming and victorious. You know God's favourite make of trainer, don't you? Nike. Why? Because it's the Greek word used in Scripture for victory and overcomer. Where we see overcomer and victorious, it's that word Nike. And it's all over the place in Scripture. It's all over the place in the New Testament. Jesus thinks he's one, and he thinks we can do the same. So how are you doing? I'm all right under the circumstances. Well, that's it. You're an overcomer. I'm an overcomer. We're all to be overcomers. Can you imagine if we started to live like we believe this? All of a sudden, the atmosphere, and and I'm not saying we're doing badly, I just think there's so much more. If we had a culture where we really all believe that, people coming in would get infected by that culture and they'd start to think, I can live victoriously. I don't have to walk around moping and, you you know, anyway. I was going to say, you know, some people you say, how are you doing, don't you? And you think, I shouldn't have asked that. I just shouldn't have asked that. That's what I was going to say, but I stopped myself. You see, Israel had this promise of deliverance. God will fight for you. God's going to fight for you. You just have to be silent. Don't strive. God's fighting for you. Don't strive. You don't have to do it. That's so why we sang, dear Lord and Father of mankind, till all our strivings cease. But there is a responsibility on us. So what's another thing? If you don't have faith, act like you do. And just step out. I haven't got faith to believe that. I'm not victorious. Well, act like you are. Just step out and do whatever it is. Do whatever you think God would have you do if you were a victorious Christian. Just do it anyway. See what happens. Where do I get that from? Well... Verse 14, it's really enigmatic. He's just said, you just need to be, and it's not so much be still. You just need to be be still. You need to be silent and be at peace. Just be calm. God's going to fight for you. And then he says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. What are you still doing here? Be calm. Be at peace. Oh, chill. Just chill. And then God says to Moses, what are you still doing here? Get move on. on. Get going, will you? There's this kind of tension. God will fight for us, but we need to move forward. God will fight for us, but we need to move forward. Philippians 2. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Step it out. Live it. And what you'll find is, it's God who's working in you to will and to act according to his good will and purpose. As you step out in faith, say, I'm going to do this anyway. I'm going to talk to that person anyway. I'm going to praise him anyway. I'm going to give anyway. You do it. You find, actually, this is all right. It's happening. This is good. I'm taking these steps of decision. Maybe this was his, he's willing and acting according to fulfill his good purposes. I'm doing this. God's good purposes are being fulfilled. I think we have a bit of a sense here at this church a number of you know a good number of people for a good number of years have said there's you know we're on the cusp of something God's going to do something there's a sense of anticipation a wise fella gave me a good word in the kitchen the other day and he said that that can be that can be debilitating because you sit on your sweet bippy okay and we wait for God to do something and God's saying what are you still doing here step out do some stuff so let's not do that. Let's not not do anything. Okay, finally. Be assured, God will make a way. If we step out, if we in faith or not in faith, just believing this to be, even if we get it wrong, God's still going to help us. If we do it in all sincerity, if we do that stepping out in all sincerity. He'll still lead us, and we'll still find the way. But better to be stepping out than doing nothing. That may be a word for someone here this morning. Better to be stepping out, not sure what you're doing, than to be just stood around waiting for something to happen. Three times in chapter 14, it talks about Israel's either going to go through on dry land, or it went through on dry ground. Three times in that chapter, God emphasises there was dry ground. They found dry ground. They found a way. Do you remember last week we looked at Isaiah 43? He made a way through the desert. God is doing something new. Behold, I'm, I'm, forget the former things, I'm doing something new. I will make a way. I will make a way. He makes a way for Christians. He makes, now it may be a tortuous route and all of that, but it, there is a way. We're never going to come up to a wall we cannot climb, a mountain we can't go over, a river we can't cross. It ain't going to happen. He's always going to make a way. At some point, he's going to make a way. Seas will part. Storm waves will be stilled. Provision will be made. He's going to ensure his purposes are fulfilled. Okay. Okay. Coming back to stomp then. From the fall then, it was God's will to crush Satan and his works. That was Genesis three fifteen. He will crush Satan's head. Jesus, if I may put it like this, stomped all over Satan's head. We're not used to this language because we don't live in a culture that's a bit earthy. We're all a bit polite and... You know, refined but some cultures in the world are pretty down to earth and that you know, they just kinda they love all this stuff. I think a lot of these old Hebrew stories, I think Hebrew culture, it seems to me, was a lot earthier. Aussies, Aussies are a bit more down to earth. They are. They're a bit earthier. And they, they would have found this hilarious, a lot of this stuff. Stuff that we go, ooh, that's a bit strong isn't it? Ooh, I'm not sure I like that. Don't know why I did that northern accent. And I don't know what this was all about either. Jesus stomped all over Satan's head. He broke his power. Paul knew this. (laughs) Paul, Romans 16, has this chapter saying, say goodbye, say hi to Dorothy and say hi to Phil and say hi to all the guys. And then he says this, and by the way, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you as it happens. Like Paul just throws in this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You see, He calls us to join Him in this work. We are to stomp. We are to stomp. I happen to be wearing my new pair of boots today. I'd lift my leg up. Well, I won't get them very high because I'm old. But got my new Dot Martins on. Got my new blue Dot Martins on. I think we all need spiritual Doc Martins. Because we need to do some stomping. We need to do some stomping. We need to understand the battle. Why is it that your family, the relationships in your family are ravaged? Because Satan doesn't like you and he doesn't like your family. Well, stomp on him then. Fight for your family. Fight for your lost family. Fight for your friends. Fight for our neighbourhoods. Why is that there's chaos in relationships, chaos in families, chaos in our government? Because Satan loves havoc. Well, let's bring that under the feet of Christ. Let's bring order to some of those situations. Talking of clothing, I have seen this t-shirt. I I just like it. There's something about it I like. Pastor, because hardcore devil stomping ninja isn't an official job title. (laughs) something about that I like. (laughs) Come on. I haven't. Faith. (laughs) But there should be something of that in our spirit, brothers and sisters. There should be something of that in our spirit. When I first came here and preached, Dave prayed for me just before I came up and preached. And it just reminded me, Dave, of when I first came here and preached with a view, and I said, there was something in the message about, don't you want to be dangerous? And Dave had a T-shirt with Dangerous Dave on the back of it. That was his T-shirt. I don't know whether the youth had given it to you or someone, I don't know whether you bought it, but anyway, Dangerous Dave. There, sh- there should be something about us that's a bit dangerous for the kingdom of darkness. We should be a threat. So Psalm 110. Will we help God put the enemies of Jesus under his feet? We're going to come to communion now. And I realize it's a bit later and, you know, one or two bits happening in the service. But hey-ho. We're going to come to communion. And there are times if the band want to come back up. There are times that we come and it's right. We're conscious of our sin and we come in solemnity and quietness and just reflect. There are times when we come acknowledging the body of Christ and our fellowship together. I want us to come this morning. Do You know, the Vikings used to have drinking halls. Where now this is just dismiss some of this illustration. okay? but they used to have drinking halls where at the end of a crusade or, you know, whatever, they go and celebrate the stories of valor and victory. And they drink. I want something of that courage and victory to be in our spirit this morning as we come and proclaim him who triumphed over the powers and principalities and made a spectacle of them by the cross. We need to own that element of this. So I want this this morning, we're going to sing this song. I raise a hallelujah. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah. Death has got no hold on me. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I'm going to act as if I've got faith. I raise a hallelujah. So I want us to come this morning with that spirit and a sense of victory. And like I say, even if you feel weak, last week we prayed for people and I think it is something God wants us to do, that power would rest on weakness. So it's not saying you've got to muster up some sort of false courage or pretend, you know, be triumphalistic. It's saying, God, I acknowledge my weakness, but you are strong and you are victorious. And your power is going to rest on this weakness. So as you come this morning in your brokenness and weakness, come, but come and just proclaim his victory in your heart. Maybe you want to name particular situations that you feel under. And just say, Jesus, you're Lord over this. You're Lord over this. You're going to do something here.